Our scripture reading today is from Hebrews 4, 1 to 2, and 11 to 13. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. <clears throat> One of the things that um, I'm sure that you know, but you uh, probably often forget is that we, um, we are continually um, being streamed at 9 and 11 uh, on Sunday mornings, streamed out uh, into the world that others might, might see what's going on here at Lake Avenue Church. Um, for our missionaries, I know that this is a, a, helpful, um, a helpful service that we have, um, but even, even now uh, we, we are able to uh, connect with members who aren't able to be here. Uh, including our senior pastor who's at home, uh, and I know he's watching because um, we did this in the first service, and uh, he said thanks for the greeting, and he said I'll be watching the second. So you get the opportunity to say hi to Greg, so uh, on the count of three, uh, we'll say hi Greg. One, two, three. Hi Greg. Uh, we wish you a speedy recovery. We will see you when you come back soon. Today we begin uh, this five-week series, um, and I know, I know that you guys have been waiting um, and looking forward to this. I know some of you guys have been begging. You guys have seen uh, in your lifespan that you are going to be able to be a part of the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. I, I get it. I get it. Um, as well as the five solas it produced. Um, I know I'm speechless too. Um, <laughs> For many uh, in this room, I know that uh, it's a new thing. Uh, it's, a, it's a new idea. The idea of the solas is a, a brand new thought. Um, a matter of fact, um, you never heard of it before. I was talking with someone a couple, um, uh, a couple weeks ago, and they said, solas, what are you talking about? I said, well, I'm going to have to bring that up. So this is what they are. They're up on the screen. Uh, the five solas, sola scriptura, scripture alone. Sola fide, faith alone. Sola gratia, grace alone. Sola Christus. Christ alone, and sola de gratia, uh, de glorio, God's glory alone. 
Now, there's, uh, it's been said a couple different ways. Uh, Solideo Gloria. It's perfectly okay if you don't know what these are because we're going to spend the next five weeks in them. Um, and I think it's really important um, for us as a church, uh, for us as a Protestant church, to really understand the roots of where we came from um, and so that we can continue to move forward um, and, 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 ex- and, and know um, the, the foundations for the church. These five statements um, have become some of the most clarifying and important um, ideas that have come from the Reformation. Though we don't actually get the word sola um, from the statements um, until about 100 years ago. Uh, Matter of fact, in this particular book, uh, Professor Theodore uh, Engelder writes uh, an article. Um, They were celebrating the 400th anniversary of the uh, Protestant Reformation. Uh, And uh, this book was written um, to kind of help people understand what was going on. And so Engelder writes this article um, entitled, The Three Principles of the Reformation, Sola Scriptura, Sola Gratia, and Sola Fide. That's the first time you see them in print. And so, um, so, so he takes the ideas around the Reformation and encapsulates them in some way that we can, we can easily understand these, these three solas. Um, and this is the way that actually this starts. It says, the Reformation was not Luther's work, but God's work. None knew better than Luther himself. And Luther goes on to say, God's word was, has been my sole study and concern, the sole subject of my preaching and writing. Other than this, I have done nothing in the matter. The same word has, while I slept or made Mary, accomplished this great thing. That made Mary, I'm not sure is, is true. There's a couple other places where it says, while I slept or drank beer. So I'm not sure whether or not he was good. So why start with... Um, Sola Scriptura. Uh, I think we need to get some things done first, so I'll tell you why in uh, a couple pages here. Truth is, um, for as much as going on in this world, uh, we should be more acquainted with the conversation and the ideas that brought about the statements that we're about to walk through. Um, So our hope, and I do mean our hope, um, because uh, your pastors have been sitting and thinking and processing together um, how we would roll this out. And so uh, I know Greg wanted to be, uh, to do this sermon, and I'm privileged to be able to give this to you, and you will hear others' voices. But we've been, uh, we've been together in this, and thinking about and talking about each one of the, each one of the solas. So our hope is that you would grow in your knowledge and understanding and even more so your experience of God in a new way, uh, especially as we work through each of these weeks uh, in the next month. In order to do that well, we have to have a little background. And by background, uh, I mean history. And by history, I mean dates and names. And yes, if you are over the age of 18, there will be a test. Um, uh, some of the middle schoolers and high schoolers, don't worry about it. I know you got tests all day long, so I got you. Just hang with me for a second. We'll be all right. So in 1440, going way back, 577 years ago, a gentleman by the name of Johann Gutenberg created the first movable type system 
in Europe. The movable type system wasn't, wasn't brand new. That was created about 200 years earlier in both uh, Korea and China. Had uh, two different places where they were using the movable type system. But by the time that it made its way to Europe and uh, Gutenberg created his uh, in Europe there, uh, they had the opportunity to create and mass produce um, the most read piece of literature in the day. Anybody have a guess about what that is? The Bible, absolutely. The Bible was the most read uh, piece of literature in that day. And um, matter of fact, it was the Gutenberg Bible uh, that they were reading. Uh, you'll see a picture of a Gutenberg Bible up on the screen. Um, the Gutenberg Bible was a, a gorgeous piece of printing. Um, and if you've ever had an opportunity to see one, um, I take that opportunity to go see it. They had a, 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 a display of one uh, a little while ago over here at, uh, at Huntington, and I was able to see it. It's just, a, they're, they're, they're gorgeous uh, Bibles. Anyway, it was produced in Latin, um, and it was the first mass-produced book in Europe. Um, it's amazing because the Bible then um, came out of what the aristocracy was and came to the common people. And common people could now open the scriptures and read for themselves. Whether or not they understood Latin, they could get the pieces because of they, what they had heard in church um, and what they, could, what they could understand, and they were able to start to ingest and hear what was actually being said in scripture. It's a fantastic moment uh, in the life of, of the church. In 1516, moving forward, there comes this guy who we talked about already, uh, and basically creates a huge problem for the church. Not because he wanted to war against the church. He was actually a monk who wanted to make sure that the church was doing what the church should be doing. And so uh, Martin Luther um, had been reading his Bible uh, and uh, was struggling with the way that the church was um, doing church. Uh, and so on October 31st, 1517, 500 years ago this month, Luther writes 95 statements against indulgences and against the Pope. Uh, and he goes to the castle church in Wittenberg and gives or nails that letter to the door. It was a public proclamation as well as a private one. What he wanted was that the priests there would read that, those, those 95 theses and take them and say, you know what, something has to shift in the way that we're doing things. Let me back up. I said two things that I probably should clarify. Indulgences and the pulp. Indulgences. So let's say that you and I were living in the uh, 1500, right? And uh, about that time, um, you are helping me uh, build my house. And uh, we're over there and we're I'm putting um, nails into the house. And um, I'm, you know, nailing away and I miss and I hit my thumb. And I drop the hammer and I start to scream at the hammer so many not nice things. And all of you kind of go, oh, no. I say, I got it. Don't worry. I go to confession on Wednesdays. We'll take care of it. So Wednesday comes around. I go to confession and I say, you know, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. Um, I yelled uh, not nice things uh, about a hammer. Um, and uh, the priest would then say something like, that's fantastic. Thank you very much. I'm paraphrasing. Um, Since so you know, thank you. But uh, this one is going to cost you three indulgences. You're going to have to go out to the, one of the vendors, uh, purchase those indulgences, and once those are purchased, then that particular vendor will tell me that you've purchased them, and I'll be able to say that your sins are absolved. How does that sit with you guys? Good? No? 
You don't want to reinstitute that, that form of, of... Well, Luther didn't either, all right? Um, Luther, um, and Luther was reading his Bible as well as you have read your Bible, and you have seen that that doesn't exist in Scripture, right? And so Luther was like, wait a second, see, the way that we've been doing this and the way we've been, been taught to this, that, that, that's not... That's not true. And so uh, let me write some statements. Like, you know, the 95 Theses, just, they're just sentences. They really are. They're fantastic. Uh, the second thing that Luther was against was, 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 pope, was the Pope. And not personally. He didn't have a, a personal grudge against the Pope. It was against the papal system. And he thought that the papal system was too open for and mired in corruption. Uh, i.e. the indulgences, and other things. Um, and he detailed some of the corruption in the letter. And I'm going to stop there about the 95 Theses. I think um, you should go look it up. You should go find them. Uh, they're not copyrighted anymore, so you can get them anywhere you want. Um, and so those, those things are, are easily read. And I think there's some fantastic statements in there as well that are really helpful to understand how they were doing church at the time. Uh, and, and, and they're informative of how we do, do church as well. So, are you with me? Nails the thing on the door. Four years later, uh, 1521, Luther goes on a diet. Okay? He's not on a food diet, right? Um, he goes on a diet. Diet uh, is uh, an old way of saying a meeting of very important people uh, from the whole entire kingdom. So Rome calls this meeting. The Pope calls this meeting. It is at the city of Worms, uh, or Worms, uh, if you're <laughs> uh, reading. Diet of Worms is a really important moment in our, our history. At the diet, uh, Luther was put on trial. Was put on trial by the Pope uh, and by Rome um, for a whole entire week. Uh, he was testifying about the things that he had nailed on the door and other things that he had taught. And he was put on trial in order that he might be able to recant what he had said. He might be able to take back all those things that he had said. And after a week long, um, basically Luther said, uh, no, not going to take it back. And this is, uh, this is what he reportedly says at the very end of the last day. This is what he reportedly says. Since your imperial majesty, electoral and princely graces demand a simple, artless, true answer, I will give one which shall have neither horns nor teeth. Unless I be overcome and convinced by proofs of the holy scriptures or by manifestly clear grounds and reasons, he goes on to uh, identify that. And he says, and, and I am convinced by those passages adduced and introduced by me, and my conscience is bound in God's word, I can or will recant nothing, since it is neither safe nor advisable to do aught against conscience. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. The statement that he makes is a huge statement. It is weighty and big. He is basically saying, I am doing nothing unless I can prove it through Scripture or through the conscience of my mind led through the Holy Spirit. How many of us are led with that conviction? I know, I know that we love the Lord. But when we pick up this book and we read through it, when we read things that don't agree with the way that we are currently being, how often do we say, I'm done with that? I, as well as you, 
take opportunity to pick and choose the moments and the things that affect me in this word. And I hope and pray that we continue to move away from that and allow God to speak into us and through us that we might be different and that we might be changed. So what happened? Luther is summarily condemned, right? Uh, and has to go into hiding because condemnation carried with it um, the, uh, he was going to die. Um, and so he goes into hiding. He was helped by a lot of people. Um, and in hiding, he translates uh, that Gutenberg Bible, that Latin scripture, into German. Uh, and that becomes one of the first uh, open source Bibles, as it were, uh, in, in the world. And so now people had uh, scripture in their, own, in their own language. Most importantly about his statements uh, are the primacy uh, of the scripture. Um, and those things stand and give us some of what we've got um, today. But he wasn't, he wasn't alone. Um, the Protestant Reformation uh, isn't necessarily because of Luther. And that's why I read what I read out of, out of this book. Um, he was helped by a lot of other people. One of those people was John Calvin. Um, uh, you may have heard of him. Um, he had his own take on the way that things were and sometimes agreed with or disagreed with Luther. Um, they're not all super, super buddies, but they really do a good job of, of moving the new conversation uh, about what God was going, doing in that time and age. Um, and, so, and I know that um, you'll hear more about him later. The other person you'll hear of is Ulrich Zwingli. Um, Zwingli is um, a Swedish theologian. Um, he does a lot, of, uh, a lot more work than Luther does actually with scripture. Um, uh, but I'm not going to get into that today. I want to give us an overview of what's going on. And I know some of that stuff is going to show up for you over these next uh, five weeks. You still with me? All right. So enough of the history part of it. What does that mean for us, right? The question for that I started with is, um, why start with sola scriptura, right? It's because scripture is foundational in divine revelation. It's the way that God reveals God's self to us in this day and age. The words that are on these pages are the ones that come off of the page and alive in our experience. I like to pray that prayer. I pray it sometimes before I, before I, I preach here. That they would actually be alive. It's the divine revelation that is, that is truth and, and, is, and is hopeful for us. Donald Bloch writes this about the Bible. He says, The Bible is normative as the unique instrument of the Spirit and as the original witness to God's special revelation fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The Bible is where God reveals all reveals to all people God's character, God's ways, and God's voice. In our text, we have a, a pretty clear sense of what that means. Again, uh, from the book of Hebrews. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. How will we fall short of it? For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard did not combine it with faith. This, this book has been used over the centuries for many, many purposes, and not all of them faithful ones. 
It's an admonition to us that when we do pick up the book, that when we do say something about this book and the words in this book, that we do it with faith as we receive the words. Because if we miss the faith part, then this becomes literature. It becomes a story or a book of stories that has no impact or care about how we live out our lives. Hebrews goes on. Let us therefore make every effort to enter into that rest so that no one will fall by, the, uh, fall by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active. The word of God is living and active. The word of God is living and active. When I came to this scripture um, and, 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 and chose this to kind of summarize this piece, I, I'd come to it because I had had it in the back of my head before. It's like, oh yeah, there's that scripture that I've known ever since I was probably in middle school. The word of God is living and active. And my prayer was that I could come to it in a new way. And my prayer for us is that we come to it in a new way every time we hear scripture. The word of God is living and active. The word of God is a unique instrument of the Holy Spirit. Which means that as we read the word, as we allow the word to wash over us, as we hear those words, the spirit of the living God is doing something in us with those words that we might be changed. I don't get that in other books that I read. I don't get someone that comes along and says, but this is how it shifts your heart. This is how it shifts your soul. This is how it means for you to treat other people. The word of God is the authority in all matters of life and faith. If we don't have this as the, as the final word about what we do and how we do it, then, then what is there? My own opinions, my own ideas? That's probably not where we want to end up. I'm grateful for the scriptures as we have them. The word of God is a record. Some of you know what I'm holding. You've seen one before. <laughs> You've experienced them. Some of you don't. As a record, this is how we play music in a different time, although it's making a resurgence now, thankfully. This record, this particular one, is an amazing record. It can, it can make you feel alive, it can lead you to sing. It can remind you of your purpose. It can encourage you to be something that you never thought you could. And it can bring you to tears. I, I've watched it. I've seen it happen. Isn't that great? <laughs> the analogy is this. Scripture needs to be read and played correctly in order to hear the words. 
Okay, okay. I see what's happening, yeah. You're face to face with greatness and it's strange. You don't even know how you feel. It's adorable. Well, it's nice to see that humans never change. Open your eyes, let's begin. Yes, it's really me, it's Maui, breathe it in. I know it's a lot, the hair, the bod. When you're staring at a demigod, what can I say except you're welcome for the tides, the sun, the sky? Hey, it's okay, it's okay, you're welcome. I'm just an ordinary demigod. Hey, what has you... So if, if you recognized it, um, I, I know you. <laughs> we've been in the same circles. We've, we've lived together. You've got kids or you really love Disney movies. That's from the Disney movie Moana. Yes, it's on record. Isn't that amazing? Fantastic. Recent movie that came out. But, but the analogy goes further, right? It's that, it's that the, the word of God... When rightly played, has the ability to help us move, has the ability to make us shift or change or sing out loud when, when the Spirit gets to us. Or we could just know that it's there. The other piece of that is that some of you were like, oh, I know that right away. Boom, I saw that movie 15 times. Um, I've seen it because my grandkids come over and that's what they watch or because my kids have been watching that multiple times in my life. And it's good, right? And some of you are like, what? What is that? I don't recognize it. I don't know who that person is who's singing. And you know what? That's true of Scripture as well, right? We have our favorites. We have the things that we're drawn to. We have those things that we've read over and over again because they speak life into us. And God has spoken in those moments. And we go back to those places. But we go, oh, yeah, isn't there that story about that guy who did that thing with his left hand? I don't know. Like, it, th those are those stories that don't, that don't always catch with us. It's fantastic that God's word has the ability to do that. To be new and to be super familiar. I'm grateful for that analogy. Uh, it's not mine, it's Emil Bruner's. Um, he's a theologian. And he, and he says this particularly. If the record is the biblical writing, then the voice from the record is the living Christ. And when we hear the voice of Christ, when we play the record in faith, we also hear other sounds. And I don't know if you caught that while you're here, and specifically with records, right? You don't get this with CDs or other things. Is that when I put that needle down on that record player, there's this popping. You guys know it. If you've ever played a record, you know the popping. It was there. But you've also blocked out other noises when you were listening to that song. The hum of the fans in the back. The buzz of the lights. In our, in our world, we have to block those things out in order to hear what's going on. And in order to hear the word, we've got to be able to, to do that as well. We've got to be able to distinguish what's essential and what's marginal. When we talk about the Bible, we tend to ask two questions. 
We ask, uh, what is the word, right? What is this thing in front of me? And we ask the question, by what means uh, is this supposed to be used? How am I supposed to, to use it? Uh, the frustrating part about this sermon is I just don't have time to get to all of it, right? But I hope to encourage you uh, in this particular way. When we read this book and listen in faith and respond to what the Spirit is doing in us, we're allowing our lives to be guided by God and by God's Word. Like the Hebrews were, like the disciples were, like the Reformers were, specifically like Luther was. And how do we do that? Here's four uh, essentials. When we, when we pick up a Bible, the, here's four things that we need to be thinking about. One, how do we read this? With repetition, right? Uh, if you had, knew that song that I was playing, um, it's because you've heard it more than once. You could say the words, you could, you could hum along, you knew what the, what the chorus was. It's the same with Scripture, right? We sit around and we talk about things and I can, I can throw out some numbers and some names to you. John 3.16 or uh, 1 Corinthians 4 or Mark 10.10. 10. And some of you are like, oh yeah, I know that one. I got it. Thanks. It's like that. When we repeat Scripture, when we allow Scripture to continue to be, um, to be moved in us, we will see new things over and over and over again. We will read a, a story and that story will come to, come to life differently. Um, but we don't get it the first time we read it. Second, when we go to Scripture, we've got to concentrate. Uh, like I said, there's these other noises that come in. And mostly when I'm reading scripture, I sit down and read scripture. There's moments where I will have like read a whole entire page and I'll be like, oh man, I need to go back and read that because my brain drifted off. We have to concentrate, not only for our own sakes, but we have to concentrate because, because these words are not our vernacular. They were written a long time ago. We've tried to make them very carefully capable of being, um, being read today. But they're still a little difficult at times. So we've got to concentrate. We've got to, we've got to press into the, 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 the scripture. Uh, third, we read for comprehension, right? We read to understand. But we understand in two specific ways. We ask the question, what is this saying? And how can I engage in what is being said? What is this saying? So I could, I could read a story about, uh, about Paul, right? And, and, and I can read that story and say, oh, okay, that's great. Paul went through that process and he talked to those people and that's great. Fantastic, I know about that. What is it saying? What is it saying to me says... How do I take and how do I hear what's happening to Paul and how is that affecting my life? That's that moment from taking it in, from information to, to faith, right? Because I get to move into the, to the word and allow the word to move into me. And, and fourth uh, is reflection. Uh, reflection is like when you uh, are off uh, somewhere uh, driving along, and you're singing in your car, but there's no music playing. Reflection is that moment where you, we get to sit back and go, oh, that's what God is doing in me. And there's no Bible open. There's just the word in you and the spirit working in you. 
Those are moments of reflection that we get to sit and go, oh, God, that's what God's doing. And you get to go back then to the Bible and understand more and understand what God's trying to say. Now, these aren't, this isn't like a pro forma way of reading the Bible, right? You know, you don't walk, open the Bible and you say, well, okay, if I repeat it and then I concentrate really hard and then I comprehend and then reflect, then everything's going to be, got it, okay? That's just not the way that, that Scripture works. I told a story a few months ago about a moment when I was really struggling uh, with my faith and, and the only thing that I knew to pick up was the Bible and, and, and in picking it up and reading it one, uh, two, three, four, five, six, seven times through, God finally spoke to me in a scripture that somehow I had missed. <laughs> it's reading it in faith and allowing God's word to step into it. And it may not happen in a, in a, in a pro forma way. And as a matter of fact, it doesn't happen like that often. Word of God is living and active. And the question for us as we continue on in this series is, are we living a life that is actively experiencing God's word? And the other solas will kind of suss that out. Through scripture, we'll figure out how we're living out in our faith. How we're allowing grace to envelop us and lead us uh, into salvation. How Christ is, is primary and how we're doing it all for God's glory. I've talked a lot, and I, and, I, and I feel like I've brought us up to this, this, historic, this through this historical moment so that we understand why we would even be talking about it in this moment. I've talked about how we use Scripture and how Scripture is used, but I haven't really said much about what Scripture is, and I really wanted to make sure that I did that, but I want to do it concisely. And uh, as a church, Lake Avenue Church, we have a statement already about what Scripture is for this congregation and this people, and I want to read that to you. We believe that God has spoken in the scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, through the words of human authors. God, his work and his ways are revealed through the Bible, truly, though not, though surely not exhaustively. As the inspired word of God, it is without error in the original writings, the complete revelation of his will for salvation, and the ultimate authority for what we believe and for how we live. Therefore, the Bible is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. Church, we have a responsibility to continue on listening, to continue on hearing what God is saying to us, not only then, but now. And as we continue on in this series, I hope and pray that you're moved through God's word to be more faithful, to be more careful, and to be more loving. Would you pray with me? Spirit of the living God, you are in this place. You are working in us even as I speak, and I am humble. God, so I would ask that in your mercy and grace, that even now you would draw us to new scripture. Even now you would draw us to old scripture that we have forgotten. Your word in us that causes us to believe, but even more so causes us to act. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you're in this place. We thank you for the moments that you love us. In Jesus' name.
Amen.